you. You may be seated in the house of God. How many feel like heaven's all around you? How many, how many have ever been a backslider like you knew? And I'm going to look at some of you right now. You knew about heaven, but you were somewhere like a bar. You were somewhere like at a house party, and you felt evil. You felt the wrongness of that. How many have been backsliders before? Like, like you knew, man, this doesn't feel right. There's something there. And even the world, those of us... Uh, you know, have been backsliders. We can experience that. But there's people who have never been Christians, but they can feel something is off. And especially in the world we live in, man, that you got to wake up to that reality because there's a lot of spirits trying to deceive us. But I hope you feel the Holy Spirit here today. Do you feel the Holy Spirit? Amen. The Holy Spirit is truth. It's not just based on our feelings, but I'm glad I can feel the Holy Spirit. The Espirito Santo Fuego en el nombre Jesús. How many love the Espirito Santo, the Holy Spirit? Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Good morning. Good morning. As you can see, I came caffeinated. Amen. I don't need to drink coffee. I come caffeinated. Even though I'm missing an hour of sleep, I'm still excited to be in church this morning. First service, you guys impressed me. I didn't know if everybody was going to be showing up the second, sleeping in, but you guys came ready. Let's go. Let's do this. So we're going to the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse by verse. If you're new with us, going through the entire book. It's a short book, so we started it sometime at the beginning of the year. We'll be finishing it soon, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us. Like always, the messages are always found online on our app that you can go back and read or listen to them. Let's go here to the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Test the spirits. He says, Dear friends... Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Let's keep going to verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's go back to verse 1. It's a pretty obvious, plain reading of Scripture. Again, the thing I love about John is John is repetitive, and John is very clear in what he is saying. I relate to John in a lot of ways. Paul is more like, if you know Jared in our church, Paul is more like a teacher, and he's going to break some nuggies down on you, and it's, it's going to be hard to understand at times. Even Peter, talking about Paul, says, Paul is hard to understand at times, and the naive distort his words. So Paul takes time to understand and doesn't necessarily always repeat himself. John has already repeated this theme of Antichrist in a prior chapter. How many remember that? He's already spoken about that. So let's just go back to it so that we can hear it again. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, he says, Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist denying the Father and the Son. So this Antichrist figure is brought up twice in the book, and those who believe them are deceived, and the Antichrist is at heart a liar. Antichrist meaning against Christ. But notice in that verse, as well in our notes, let's go back to the notes in chapter 4, we see that there are many Antichrists and one main Antichrist. 
So when we see this, it says that we test the spirits because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how we recognize the spirit of God. Well, those spirits that are in the false prophets, plural, are the spirits of the Antichrist. That's what 1 John chapter 2 teaches us. But there's going to be one main Antichrist that comes and brings a world deception. And at that point, the Bible says Jesus is going to come back. So when we look at the scriptures, we have to understand the principle of both and. Some people would say, well, there's only one antichrist and everybody else is just, you know, uh, a false teacher of some kind. They're not necessarily an antichrist. That's not true. There are many antichrists. But then others would say, oh, you know, every, everybody's an antichrist. There's not going to be one main figure. That's just symbolic in the book of Revelation. Some Christians believe that, that truly that just all false prophets are an antichrist and somehow the book of Revelation makes some symbology out of, you know, maybe one specific one. But that's not true. There's, there's many antichrists, and then there's going to be one major antichrist. And isn't this something that the one who gets the, uh, the, the kind of the peekaboo of the future is John, and John is the one that spends the most time really talking about the antichrist. Paul does mention him in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4. We've been over that. But it's in the book of Revelation, let's go there quickly, to Revelation 19, 20, that we see the big picture, the clarity of what the antichrist is going to look like. Somebody say, test the spirits. We have to test the spirits. So it says in Revelation 19, 20, but the beast was captured and with it the false prophet. Now remember that there's many false prophets, but in the end, there's one major false prophet that works with the beast, the major antichrist figure. And the false prophet performs these signs on behalf of the beast, on behalf of the Antichrist. With these signs, he deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the lake of burning sulfur. So they don't even get killed, then go to hell. They get thrown directly into hell. So why should we care about this? Going back to the notes... Look at John's language to us. Dear friends, he also says, dear children, he is letting us know that in these final moments before Jesus comes back, that deception is only going to get worse and that the culmination of deception is going to be the Antichrist, a false prophet, and the mark of the beast and worldwide deception. Now think about that personally right now, how gullible people have become in the 21st century. Now with the belief of aliens, with the belief of being able to talk to your ancestors, mix that in with a little Marvel comics, a little technology, literally demons will be able to appear to us and people will believe they are aliens giving them secret knowledge and the signs and wonders that they perform, many, many will be deceived by. Can you see it? I mean, I can easily see that. Already the alien phenomenon is taking over a lot of the new age movement. Before it was, we were speaking to angels and to things like that, ancestors. But now, a lot in the New Age movement are talking to aliens, and they're channeling aliens. And you can meet a woman that she's somewhere in Nevada. She said an ancient alien lives inside of her now. She's crazy and kooky. But she has a following. Now, why, why is this able to happen? Why is this able to happen? Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. I think it might be good to go here. It's able to happen because the church right now is not teaching the truth as it should. And eventually, the church will be raptured out of the, the world, and there will be no more light in that way, and the deception will grow that much stronger. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4, talking about the Antichrist. It says, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. To, to be called God in our culture now is not that big of a deal. People will do that all the time. Even rappers have done that in the past. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you all these things. Now look at verse 6. And now you know what is holding him back. Brother, it's 2 Thessalonians, okay? Chapter 2, verse 6. 
I don't know, did I say that correctly or did I say it wrong? I did say it wrong, sorry. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. So the he that is taken out of the way, the Bible says, is the church. Now, we know the church is referred to primarily in feminine terms as the bride, but here the he could be the reference to the Holy Spirit in the church is going to be removing the church, not himself, the Holy Spirit will still be here, but he'll be removing himself as an operating force as we see now. He may still convict sinners. People may still get saved during that time. But what you take for granted now, how you understand truth now, how you come to a church now, how you see gifts of the Spirit now, that may be greatly diminished as he is removed in that sense of authority upon the earth and the authority is literally handed over to the Antichrist. There are times when the Bible says the Holy Spirit removes from people and then the spirits of the world are able, the spirits of the devil are able to come and take them. So for example, Saul, if you remember Saul, he was the first king of Israel. He had the spirit of God and then he turned away from God and God removed his spirit from him and then allowed him to be possessed by a demon. That's what I think is happening here. God is going to allow the Holy Spirit to be removed in his governmental position as he is now. And then the spirit of the Antichrist, which comes from the devil, will be unleashed upon the earth. But let's keep going. Let's keep going. It says in verse 9, the coming of the lawless one, speaking about the Antichrist, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways the wickedness deceives those who are perishing. Now look at this last part right here. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so that all who will be condemned who have also and so rather, the, excuse me, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Does everybody see it? Let's just take a moment to understand what Paul is saying in relation to John. The Antichrist is going to come. Even now, there are many Antichrists. A false prophet is going to come with that Antichrist. Even now, there are many false prophets. The Bible says when they come, the Holy Spirit and the church will not be here in the same way that it is now. The Holy Spirit, of course, doesn't go anywhere in the sense of being omnipresence, but his authority, his influence, even though there might be some people who get left behind and initially start repenting, there might be a little scattered group of Christians here and there, but the removal of God's presence actively the way it is now with the church being raptured, taken directly to heaven, will usher in a seven-year period of tribulation that will begin with the greatest deception the world has ever known. And now get this, everybody get this. Why will they be so deceived? Because they refuse to love the truth. So take, for example, right now when we go out preaching or you're out before your life group and you're inviting people to come and they're just so busy and they've got things they've got to do and they don't need to listen to little old you. They're good. I'm good. I'm good. Go talk to somebody else. Well, when we get raptured and taken to heaven, before you know it, they'll be putting a mark, a chip in their forehead and on their wrist because they will be so easily deceived by what comes next. So they didn't think they needed to stop now. They didn't think they needed to become, uh, you know, given the immunization now. But when that disease of deception comes, they will be hit so hard they won't even know what hit them. I mean, it's just boom right upon them. That's why today we're preparing people. We're going out to the, to the world, to the highways and byways. We have one of our brother even right now in uh, Cuba. Somebody say Cuba. 
He's in Cuba right now. Pray for him. <laughs> He's in Cuba, man. And so pray for him. We have, we have people going to the Philippines very soon, to the Middle East, all over the world. And we're doing it here on every block and every corner because we don't want people to be taken in by the devil. We don't want them to be deceived. And you might say, oh, no, 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 no. People won't do that. My neighbor won't do that. My, my neighbor's too smart. Have you ever studied cults? I've been talking about this recently as this has been coming up. You can watch a series on Hulu by A&E about cults, and you'll see some of the most intelligent people, maybe uh, people from Hollywood or, you know, policemen or whatever kind of, you know, place of life you can imagine, ordinary housewives. These people fall for these cults, and before you know it, they are living a wicked, crazy lifestyle that they can't get out of, that now they, you know, they regret sometimes for being in there, but they, they never knew that that it was going to be like that. Why? Because they just, they just followed this motivational speaker. And this motivational speaker fed them one lie and then fed them another lie. And then before you know it, they're getting the, the initials of that motivational speaker branded on their hiney. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, it just takes over. And before you know it, they're getting paddled. Adults are paddling other adults. Before you know it, they're living on a commune, swapping wives, taking pictures of themselves in the nude, sending it to their leader going, we love you. The kind of perversion and wickedness that already exists is so alarming. But many of us are asleep too. Let's go back to the notes where we started in 1 John. He says, dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirit. Okay, we talked about the Antichrist. We understand that. It's scary stuff. We don't want to be around for that. But is that all John is warning us about? No, he's warning us about all kinds of false prophets. And he's getting that from Jesus. So before we get into more of the detail of the false prophets, let's look at Jesus' warning in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. Matthew chapter 24, verse 22, Jesus referring to the time we're living in now. Because remember, the last day started after Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down. We are now in the last moments of the last hour of the last day. If the last days, plural, started 2,000 years ago, where are we now? If a day is like 1,000 years to the Lord, that means two days have passed by. We're at the beginning of the third day. And when did Jesus rise? Beginning of the third day. Don't take that too far, but I, I, I kind of think we're getting close. You know what I'm saying? I, think, I don't think it's going to be too much longer because this is happening. Jesus said if those days, talking about the kind of times we're living in as it leads to the Antichrist, the, the, the main Antichrist with the false prophet, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened at that time. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. Going back to John, he's saying the same exact thing. Why? Because John is a disciple of Jesus. He is reminding his disciples that this will happen. Now, in the previous service, when we went over chapter 2, I gave you a picture, a collage of various false Christs and false prophets, and we talked about them a little bit in detail. Today, I don't want to do that. What I want to do is actually focus on a different set of false prophets, ones that call themselves Christians. Hey, come on, those on TV, TBN, on the radio, okay? Because the Bible doesn't say, test every spirit except the one that comes on K-Love, no, no, no. It doesn't say test every spirit except the one that's at Winter Jam or whatever Toby Mac's performing at. No, it says, it says do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. So you and I have always got to be walking around with our test kit. Now, I had a kind of job one time when I worked at a gym where I had a test kit. Has anybody worked with a test kit? Does anybody do quality control? Am I alone here today? Has anybody tested chemicals? Okay, one or two of you. Okay, got a brother in the back. Thank you, man. Got a brother right here too. Okay. So when I worked at the gym, I was in charge of the pools. They gave me a test kit. So if you've ever been in a pool and you felt there was too much chlorine, that was probably because someone wasn't doing their job. If you've ever been at a pool and they said, this one is cut off today because we're recycling it, that's because now they didn't have enough and they have to put the chlorine through. So I would wake up early in the morning around 5 o'clock, get to the gym, and test the pool. 
I would have these little slips, uh, these like paper things that I would put in there. They would, you know, dip it in there. They would show me what's going on. I don't even remember it. I wish I could sound real smart right now. The pH balance of this, the chemical of that. Then I would put something in this thing and shake it up. And I would drop some chemicals in there. It would turn colors. And based on the colors, what I had to go back into the, uh, the water area room. I don't know what they call that room, but I had to go back to that room crank up the, the, you know, the chlorine, crank it down. There was just a system that I had to, to go through to do this. Some of you are impressed. You're like, Pastor, you actually did that kind of work? <laughs> yeah, I did it for about three months, but yes, I did it. Uh, those of you who know me, manual labor, things like that, it's just, it's not my forte, you know? The longest job I had was delivering pizzas. Now that I was good at. I could deliver your pizza. Yes, clap for your pastor. Now I have my dream job, though. Hey, man, I'm good at this. I can talk. Yes. So, so you know, if, if I didn't test, if I didn't test the water, people could get sick. Too much chlorine, irritate the skin. Maybe people would have an allergic reaction to it. Not enough chlorine. You know, the things that happen in the pool, we won't talk about it, can infect you or make, make, make things weird for you and, and just whatever flies in there, you know. And so I had to make sure at all times I had that test kit with me and then I was following the instructions. The Bible is teaching us that we have to have a test kit towards what spirits are saying to us. Now, notice here that Paul doesn't just call them people. Like we would say, like, people have spirits or people are spirits inside of bodies. But he goes directly to the origin of where these ideas come from. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and understand why he does that. Somebody say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, spirits in high places. Come on. I might have misquoted a little bit, but you're going to get it all right now. Look at it. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 12, our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So going back to our notes, why does John say, hey, don't believe every spirit? Because what somebody is saying to you out of their sound ways, you know, coming out of their physical body is not originating from them. It's coming from a spiritual world. And so when Satan came at the very beginning, what did he do? He possessed a serpent. And as he possessed that serpent, he began to speak through that serpent lies and deception. And what happened when they believed those lies and deception? The curse came upon the earth. We fell into sin. Death came upon us. But even in the behind-the-scenes realm, what happened? The spirits that had fallen and were cursed were loosed upon the earth. If you could see into the spiritual realm, an innumerable amount of fallen angels were loosed. And what did they do? They began to wait for humanity to populate. And as they populated, they started to possess humanity to the point that within only a few hundred years, God looks at the population of Noah's generation and says, they are all wicked. There are things that people can get out of the Bible, that even some of them were mating with humans, creating what was called the Nephilim. That is a fun story to talk about, which I won't be getting into. Some of you, I'm sure, would love it. You would love for me to talk about the Nephilim. But there are, there are possible, possible uh, truths to that, that the demons were so out of control during that time that, that, that even their uh, uh, ability to reproduce with humans... Was, was happening, that God then had to curse the whole world again, uh, bring the flood, and then stop that ability from happening. We don't know, but that's a possibility. But here's what we do know, is that those spirits haven't gone anywhere. Those same wicked spirits that were possessing the people of that time to be wicked, to be violent, to call themselves gods, to be idolaters, to do whatever they could get away with, are now here still among us. Abortion. Come on, let's talk about it. Abortion. Is that not an example of an idea birthed from a demon? 
I mean, here we have the technology, think about this, to do surgery, prenatal surgery on children in the womb. We are so technologically advanced, and yet we will use that to rip apart living tissue and body from a mother's womb. Who came up with that? I mean, it's not just a doctor somewhere over here. You know, a nuclear bomb. You can look at nuclear power, fusion, these kinds of things. But then what do we do with it? We drop it on people. I mean, just think about all the things that we have taken. Where were these ideas birthed from? As a matter of fact, in Judaism, if you study the Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism like, uh, like Madonna did and some other famous people, there's actually stories about these demons teaching people these hidden crafts and arts. Of course, I don't believe that, but there must be some kind of truth in there because the Bible says that some of them were so wicked that they were then chained in dungeons during that time. Others have been allowed to roam because that was once again our fault for letting them come and invade us. And God, by sending his son Jesus, has taken back the authority. And at the judgment, all things will be subjected to Jesus. But right now it's playing out according to his plan. But seriously, at that time of Noah, the Bible says that some of those spirits were so bad that they had to be chained at that point and put into dungeons. And so what is going on? Going back to the notes, what do we see? We see John telling us that you cannot believe every spirit. You better test them. That's why when I say to you, if you see a dead relative appear to you in your room, and I usually use the term Aunt Mima, Iguela, Grandma comes, you need to test that spirit. Ask that spirit, is Jesus Lord? Is Jesus the Son of God? Has Jesus come in the flesh to die on the cross for my sins? You know, that spirit will then manifest and become what it really is at those times because the Bible has said that God has sealed off the dead from the living. They can't come back as you summon them or go to a psychic. Now, people ask all the time then, well, how in the world did Wayla know I needed to hear what she told me? Or how did that psychic know what I was thinking about or what my father and I used to do or those things I miss about my family? How did the psychic know? What do we say back to them? It's a demonic spirit that knows. Don't you think they talk to each other? I recommend anyone that has a you know, an interest in this, to read some of the books that give us a fictional idea of what this could be. This Present Darkness is a book that talks about spiritual principalities taking over a city and some of the things that they might do and communicate with each other. You have meetings and goals. They probably do as well. There's a structure. When we read in Ephesians, there's a four-tiered order of their rank that Paul says even during the time of Daniel when he was in Babylon and he was praying and asking God for a message of what to do, the, the angel uh, comes to him and says, we were resisted by the prince of Persia and another angel had to come and assist me as I was in a battle. Think about Lord of the Rings, man, or something like that on a spiritual level. But listen to me. Don't get so caught up with it that you become obsessed with it. John is not wanting us to stop and now become so spooky and weird that everything's a demon. I heard one preacher say that there's demons that come out of the water. There's demons that come out of here. All of these anti-scriptural things. So he wrote a book about, he's a local pastor, you know, rebuking the spirit of Leviathan that comes from Lake Michigan. Just a bunch of weirdiness, okay? Uh, don't become a spiritual fruit, nut, or flake. Don't be a granola Christian. All of these principalities and powers are under our feet in the name of Jesus. You don't have to go looking for them, but when you find them, confront them in the name of Jesus and do it in all humility. Don't do it as if you're putting on a show or something like that. But, but what do we see here that we're supposed to test these spirits? So let's, let's go back to the example I said with Christians. Let's go back to this example. If you were the devil and you were trying to infiltrate the enemy's camp, and you were trying to take over the church or at least, you know, cause problems in the church where it would be ineffective, what would you do? 
you would send your spirits as wolves in sheep's clothing. A pastor wrote a book about this called Well-Intentioned Dragons, about people in the church who appear to be helping, appear to be offering advice, and yet their spirit is of the spirit of the dragon. The Bible also calls him a dragon, the devil. And so their spirit is wrong. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're living with someone you're not married to, and you're coming to the church, and we love you just the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. So we begin to get up in your business. We say it's good for you to have a relationship, that's fine, but it's not good to sleep together if you're not married. It's not good to live together. You ought to separate or sleep in separate rooms, separate beds until you get married. As far as I know, the courthouse is open five days a week, except on holidays, right? You can go down there anytime if you're that serious. No ringing, no dinging. Come on. You'll see how fast that dude gets on a knee, ladies. You take, you take, you take it away, you'll see how fast he'll start proposing to you. He'll, he'll become romantical real quick. So, so we just talked to you about that, but that offends you. Let's say it offends you, but yet, or offends that person. Let's not make it about you. Let's say it offends that person, and yet they don't come to us and tell us their offense. Right? They don't come to us and tell their offense. They start whispering around the church. And maybe there's some things that they've noticed about the church that they don't like, and now this is their time. This is their time to bring those things up, neglecting to tell you what's really going on behind the surface. Are you listening to me? People can be slick sometimes. And so while they're hanging out with you, they go, man, do you notice that about Pastor Joe? He never dresses up. Man, I wonder if he's really a pastor. Anybody ever check on his degrees? You, you see what I'm talking about? They're going to come like that. They're not going to say, I'm breaking the laws of the Bible and I've been corrected and I have a bad attitude. No, they're going to start bringing out that spirit that's influencing them. A demonic spirit is telling them, I don't want you to listen to this. I don't want you to do this. And so that spirit's going to start saying, focus on these little things and start sowing division in the church. Let's talk about how Pastor Joe dresses. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. Oh, have you heard about that? And now put yourself in the position of hearing that from your friend. The Bible says test every spirit. Don't just believe every spirit. You could ask him something just like this. Well, is that important? Is that important according to the scripture that Joe dresses up or that, you know, we only sing hymns or whatever else they're on? Is that important according to the scripture? Why is that important to you? You're testing their spirit. Let's take another example. Let's say that you're listening to K-Love, and you love this song, man. This song is your jam, and every time it comes on, you're jamming to it, man. Man, this is my jam. Woo, this is it. Feels so good listening to it. And then this artist keeps coming out with songs and music, and one day when you're feeling down, this song comes on by this artist. makes you feel so good, man. I love this artist. But then this artist gets interviewed. Come on, somebody. This K-Love artist gets interviewed about homosexuality. Some of you want me to say her name, but I'm not. Just don't feel like it. Just don't feel like it. Just let, it, just let this example be anybody. But you know, some of you know. But yet, when she, it's a woman in this example, when she is asked what she feels about homosexuality, she becomes all wishy-washy and just quite doesn't know and hasn't figured it out yet and just wants to get along with everybody and just wants to sing good Jesus song. Come to my concert. Let's not talk about it. You better test that spirit. You better test that spirit because what are you receiving from that song? You might be receiving good, good vibrations. That's true. But, you know, not every vibration is for you. Not every vibration is for you. And I'm not saying you can only drink milk from a Christian cow. I'm not saying you can only receive good things from Christians every day of your life. Otherwise, you couldn't get a paycheck if you were getting paid by a sinner. Or you couldn't have a, a, a person buy your product if they were a sinner. You know. But what I'm saying is you better be careful about what you're letting in by that spirit. Because God may be using that singer, and now the devil sees it and says, I want to use her too. And then now there's a tug of war going on in that person's life and you have to start discerning how am I going to receive this person now? How am I going to believe what they are telling me? Because not every false prophet is going to look like those false Christs I put up here. 
As a matter of fact, when I have watched in Christian circles, the person cross over from just being weird or a little bit naive to, to a false prophet, there is no external change in who they are or their giftings. Let me give you another example. I was listening to some gospel music, and I'll mention this person's name, and one of my favorite artists of my time coming up was Carlton Pearson, African-American singer and preacher that came out of Tulsa, and his gospel albums from the Azusa Street conferences are like some of my favorite. They're mixed with the classics and uh, just really great singing, really powerful But over time, this powerful singer, this gospel artist and preacher began to get plagued with the idea of hell. He began to think like, man, how is it I I believe in this good, loving God sending people to hell? People like, I think it was one of his grandparents, because there was actually a documentary made about his life or a movie, I think, on Netflix you can watch. And he started getting plagued by this. But if you were watching him and you were listening to him, you didn't notice any difference in his talents. You didn't notice any difference in his abilities. He was still the same Carlton Pearson. But behind the scenes, there was all this stuff happening. And then one day, he comes out to his church, and he goes, Hey, guys, I still love God. I still love Jesus. still love the Bible. But I'm just changing my belief on the doctrine of hell. I believe that God's love is universal, that everyone's eventually going to go to heaven, and that's what I believe. Now, thankfully, and I say this, in in a true way. Thankfully, he lost that church. Those people left. They knew better. But then he ended up coming, working at a new age church here in Chicago on the south side for a long time. And if you would just tune into the radio, or if you would see him on an interview with Oprah, because he was interviewed by Oprah, if you just like checked it in, like you're at the gym, or you know you're driving on the, the expressway, turning on the radio, you would think this guy's a Christian. How would you know? you would have to test his spirit. And see, some of us here, everybody get this now, some of us are just too gullible. Some of us really deserve the title where we're kind of made fun of as Christians and we're called sheeple. Have you ever heard that? Like, you guys are just a bunch of dumb sheep. You believe whatever that guy says on stage. You guys don't study for yourself. Sometimes, I'm gonna speak from a pastoral perspective, we deserve that criticism because we don't give enough critical thinking. One day I would like to become an undercover boss, undercover pastor, and, and, and show up to a life group and, you know, and pretend I'm a prophet and say some crazy word to you and see if you believe it, you know, or, or have some woman come in and, and, and to the life group and have her cry as she tells you that she talked to her dead son last week or something. And just see, do, y'all be, do, do you believe this just because it's in the context of our church, nice people and emotionalism? Or do you step back and become a bit skeptical, as the Bible says, test this thing and go, hmm, let me think about this. What are you saying? No matter how much I like you, no matter how much you're a good person or the feels that I'm getting with you, I've got to test you. I can't let down my guard with you. And so everybody hear my heart today. The greatest honor you could ever pay me as a pastor is to unsheath your sword from time to time and put it against my sword and test my spirit. That's the best compliment you could pay me. You know, if you just come to this church and you're just like, Pastor, just tell me what I'm supposed to believe and I'll believe it. That does not honor me. That does not make me feel good about you in any way. That makes me fear for your soul. I I want you to kick back. You know, when we believe things in this church about the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, these kinds of things, I want you to study that through with us. When we talk about uh, what it's like, you know, resisting the LGBTQ agenda or abortion or things like that, I want you to test it. I just don't want you to say, well, my pastor said it and that's it. You will be the kind of person that will be deceived when a better pastor comes along, when a better singer comes along. Because if I'm, if I'm getting you, everybody listen to me, look up at me, please, know that I love you smiling. But if I'm getting your allegiance because I'm such a good talker, there's somebody that can out-talk me right now and get you into error. There are better talkers than me. If, if the only reason why you're in the church is because we've been nice to you and we've brought you in and we helped you in your time of need, my friends, there's the Mormon church down the road waiting to do the same thing, if not more, for you. There, there's, a, there's a new age cult that's willing to not only help you every now and then with your light bill, but pay all your light bills because they'll let you move on the commune. 
I mean, let's, let's be honest right now. If you're only here because your neighbor brought you and everybody's so nice here and you just feel so good, you're not doing this right. You must go to the place where you can test. Test the spirit. Test what spirit I am from when I am talking to you up here. Test what spirit Adam is from. Test what spirit the worship leaders are from. Test what spirit your life group leader is from. We've had leaders in our church. Let me just say this to warn you because he was in the time of the early church. We've had leaders who had graduated Bible college and were teaching our 201 who were turning towards atheism in the middle of our church and ruining our discipleship by going into weird categories and places. But we didn't know. But some of the students were getting confused. And you would say, how can that happen? How can the devil get kicked out of heaven? How can Judas turn us back on Jesus? You can become an atheist here. I'm not that smart to keep you from stupidity. A woman, I put this on Facebook, a woman who, wrote, who gave me a plaque, because I was preaching one time on the verse that said, whoever doesn't receive correction is stupid. You know, life-giving instruction is received by the wise. It's like a proverb. I said, man, I wish I had that as a plaque, because you guys always give me gifts like, you know, like the Lord is my shepherd gifts, like a little, little sheep and a little scripture on it. I said, I'd love to have that one. She actually made that for me. Whoever doesn't heed correction is stupid. And she left the church dating a non-Christian, living with him. So that can happen. I'm not, I am not able to stop you from making dumb choices. You can't do that for me. No matter how beautiful you guys are on Sunday morning, no matter how great the church is, if today I want to go have sex with someone that's not my wife, this, a paycheck, whatever, can't stop me from doing that. So you better test my spirit when I come up here because I could have been having an affair last night and it won't get exposed till two years from now, but y'all still hanging out because I'm a good speaker. I'm not saying that we, we should always be so skeptical we don't give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm saying the content that you're receiving should not be based on a person's position, a person's personality, or how charisma, charismatic they are, or how emotional they make you feel. You should base it on the Word of God. Can I hear an Amen. Because let me just say this right now. There's a lot of charismatic people who want to deceive you. There's a lot of emotional people who want to deceive you. Don't allow yourself to become that gullible. So one maybe last example, and then we'll move on. I did this with uh, the leadership, and then I, I did it a few months ago on the Facebook page, as my personal one. And I just wanted to see. Y'all watch this service. I put up a service, and I said, tell me if you notice anything odd about it. Now, I think some people were trying really hard to get where I was going, so, you know, they had, they had like their skepticism raised super, super high. But I think if I would have did it a little bit differently, if I just would have been maybe deceptive for the sake of an example, if I would have said something like, man, I love this preacher right here in this service, check it out, everybody, I should have maybe did it that way because then I don't think anybody would have came back and saw anything wrong. But I said it the other way. I was like, let me know if you see anything wrong. The worship was on point. The preaching was on point. <clears throat> Excuse me, but you know what was going on? The man leading the church was a homosexual who was married to another man. He's a popular homosexual bishop in Atlanta. And so some people kind of knew where I was going. So they looked for things. You know, oh, it looks a little effeminate or looks like this, looks like that. But I'm just curious if people would have spotted because I'll be honest with you, just at first take, I'm not saying all of any of us is perfect. I probably would have thought that was a church service too. But remember, we need to stop and say, well, before I started, you know, listening to this speaker, before I start listening to this music, <clears throat> I need to go test their spirit. That's why in our church, it's not that we're against these conferences. It's not that we're against you going and doing things outside of Metro Praise. Trust me, we don't think we're the only Christians in the city. But that's why we're not so excited as other churches are to do everything that comes down the Christian pike. It's because a lot of those big organizations are places for people to hide and infiltrate their spirit or that false spirit into the movement of Christianity. And I've been around long enough to know, man, I don't want anything to do with that. Can I hear an amen? Somebody say, test the spirits. Amen. And what John said was, for his people, ask him if Jesus came in the flesh. Because at his time, there were people that actually believed Jesus was only a spirit. 
that Jesus actually did not have flesh. They were called the Gnostics. And, and they were deceiving the people going, you know what? The flesh is just an illusion. Jesus didn't have flesh. And so Jesus, when he died on the cross, it appeared that he was dying in the flesh, but he really didn't. And so that was hitting at the heart of the gospel. It wasn't just Christians disagreeing over things that we may not figure out till we get to heaven. It was core fundamental issues because John's gospel actually said, and the word became flesh. And Paul said he made himself in the likeness of a human taking on our nature. And so this was hitting at the heart of the incarnation. Now, once again, we've talked about other groups, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, on and on, that will say, oh yeah, we believe Jesus came in the flesh, but then they have all these other false doctrines. We have to have other tests for them. We just can't say this test is the only test. If you say Jesus came in the flesh, then you're all good because there's a ton of cults, false beliefs that, that will say Jesus came in the flesh. So what I want to do is turn to what Paul gave as another test. Let's go to Romans, and we've done this before, but I want to go there quickly. Romans chapter 10, say start in verse 6, Paul compliments John. Somebody say compliments John. Thank you. Doesn't contradict. He compliments John. And he says, let's start in verse 8 maybe. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is what? Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you can't just be saved by saying Jesus is the Messiah or that Jesus came in the flesh. You also have to believe that Jesus is God equal to the Father. That's what Lord there means. We don't have time to get into it. But let's now go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and look at some of the ways Paul said that spirits would deceive. It only wouldn't be the denial of Jesus' bodily uh, uh, incarnation, but that it would also be with extra religious rules. Let's look at this and tell me if there's a group of people, a large quote-unquote Christian group that sounds like this. The Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by who? Things taught by who? Demons, thank you. So listen, when someone departs from the faith and starts following a demon, do they put that up on their billboard now? Hey guys, I've stopped following the faith. I'm following a demon now. No. How would you know? You have to test them. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. It means they don't feel bad about what they're doing anymore. Now look at what they teach. These folks, Paul warns about, they forbid people to marry. Ooh, who do you know that does that, calls themselves Christians? And order them to abstain from certain foods. Who knew about No Meat Friday? Come on, somebody. Hello. Which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So he says, in latter times, this will be a sign to you that people are now uh, uh, going towards demons. They'll forbid marriage. And they'll start saying you can't eat certain foods. Did you get it already? Roman Catholicism. They started saying, well, well, you know, we should not have sex as priests. We shouldn't have children. We shouldn't do these things. We're going to forbid you to eat food. And, and they started to add all of these things onto Christianity. And everybody's saying, well, I guess it kind of makes sense. Well, yeah, I guess it kind of, oh, yeah, I can kind of see that there. And they started pulling scriptures out of context. And before you know it, you're getting fed communion by a guy you call Father Tom who can't marry but molest children. Come on, somebody and tells you you're not getting to heaven unless you do all these good works. Not saying everybody's like that, but you know my point. It became a curse to their organization when they started making all of this forbidding. As a matter of fact, everybody look up at me, please. Mardi Gras Fat Tuesday is actually a repercussion of the lentil season of, Re of Roman Catholicism. Why? Because the Roman Catholics say, if we're going to have to abstain from certain things for the next 40 days, we might as well get it all out while we can. Do you see how that becomes a consequence of bad thinking? Let's become gluttons. Let's become drunkards. Let's party all we can. Because then for 40 days before Easter, we're going to do all these things and then get some ash on our head. Come on, somebody. Let's get it all out. Ash Wednesday comes before that, but you know what I mean. The, the deception just gets worse, doesn't it? But hold on. Now you've bought into it. It's hard to get out of it. 
The Bible says, see it coming ahead of time. It's much easier, everybody get this, it's much easier to reject an error that you don't believe than to be corrected on an error you already believe. Can we go back to 1 John? Can I give you an illustration? Somebody say, make it plain. I love my Greek in-laws. They're the best. No one more generous, kinder to my wife and I, to my, my kids, than my Greek family. The amount that they have sacrificed for my wife and their other daughter, and for us, it's, it's outstanding. I mean, it's amazing. It's in, in influenced me in so many good ways. But there's something about the Greek culture that I've learned. They are stubborn. They are stubborn. If you've ever seen my big fat Greek wedding, Think of that, very true, stubborn. And so, obviously, my father-in-law, he speaks Greek. And the New Testament is written in Greek. And he's a Christian, praise God. He came out of Greek Orthodox. He loves Jesus. And every time we talk about the Bible, he's the teacher, I'm the student. That's just the way it's going to be until I go to heaven to meet Jesus. It doesn't matter what I know, he knows more. Final word, thank you, Papa P. That's what I call him, Papa P. His name is Pete. So, We're sitting one day going over the Greek New Testament, and there's this word that I read in the Greek New Testament, because that's one of my goals is to learn Greek so I can understand the Bible better, and they're all helping me very kindly and gently. And so I'm in the New Testament reading this word, and he goes, no, 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 Joey, no, 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 that word, that word is not right. And he starts correcting me on the word that I'm reading out of the Greek New Testament from my phone from the manuscripts. He's like, no, 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 that's not right. And he shows me in his Greek Bible a different word. I then try to explain to him that he has a different version of the Greek Bible, but these are the original manuscripts. Does he believe me? Of course he doesn't. So I then begin to take the next 10 minutes to explain that whole process to him. Your language has changed over years. The words were now changed, so you're changing some of these words. Even though it's all Greek, it's almost like old English for us. We don't use the King James English. We'll use more like NIV English. Everybody tracking with me? But, but the argument now was afoot, and he had to stand on his Greek heritage, and he had to stand on his Greek pride. I know, Joey, I know. I know what this word is. So I go to a website that literally has photographs of the manuscripts that are in museums that date to the 300s, and I zoom in on the actual manuscript, and I point to the word. Does he believe me? No, of course he doesn't believe me. That can't be trusted. Can't trust what comes from there. Now, everybody think about this. I am his son-in-law. He loves me. He is proud of me. He believes in everything that I'm doing. So I have an open door of relationship to him. Number two, he knows that I've been to school. He knows that I've studied. He knows that I'm not a liar, that I would never intentionally ever lie to him. He knows I'm his son-in-law. He knows I've been to school. He knows I wouldn't lie to him. But here was the thing. Being wrong was a high price for him to pay. Weeks go by, I don't bring it up, and then one day he comes to me a little bit sheepishly. Joey, Joey, the word is there. I went back and looked in another translation. You're right, now I understand. It's like, oh, thank you, Papa P. But how many know that that's an insight into the human heart and how hard it is to convince us of things? So now imagine, imagine this. You're talking to the Mormon. That Mormon doesn't have a relationship with you like I do with my father-in-law. That Mormon doesn't trust you. That Mormon doesn't know your degree or how long you've been in uh, the church studying or those kinds of things. That Mormon is going to put up so many walls against what you're saying. And that's why so often what we're fighting against is not flesh and blood. It's the spiritual powers that are deceiving them and holding them back on top of their own human pride. And so think about how hard it it has been for you to let go of errors you were already believing. That's why the Bible is trying to tell us, don't go into error. Do the right thing now. Guard yourself now. Because once you believe that thing, that thing that's false, it's hard to get you to change. And so my prayer for this church is, is that what you have around your heart is like, you know, like Fort Knox. It's like a huge safe and you have protected your heart and you're not just letting anything in there. You're not just letting any belief in there. You're making sure that when you open up your heart to let something in, it has passed the test of God's word. Can I hear an amen for that?
Amen. Let's go to the last verses in closing, please. He calls us dear friends. Now he calls us dear children. Just scroll down a little bit to verse 4. And now he says probably one of the most famous verses we've ever heard. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. How many of you have used that scripture totally out of the context of fighting against false beliefs and antichrist? Yeah, we've all have. You know, you're about ready to take that test. You, you didn't really study much, but now you're there. You're a Christian. You've got that cross. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You know what I'm saying. You're scared. You're walking down the neighborhood. Somebody looks at you. We're greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And those, in those places, the scripture can be used. You can use truth wherever it applies. That is true. You can apply the scripture of having a powerful God on the inside of you that overcomes all that's in the world whenever you face things in the world. That's true. But what was the original context? What was John telling us this for? He was telling us this in the sight of the great deception that we would be facing and that we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be walking around going, oh my goodness, am I going to be deceived by a demon? Is someone going to deceive me? No, we should be walking around going, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. God is greater than all the lies I could ever hear. He'll, he will guard my heart. He will protect me. And then what does he say at the, at, towards the end here? Something that's so key, and I don't want to have a martyr syndrome, and a martyr syndrome is like, we're only like two or 300 people right now because we're so radical. If we were more compromising, we would have thousands of people in our church. I mean, that may be true in some sense, but didn't Jesus have a radical ministry and still have thousands? Okay, and so I don't want to always use this kind of like, you know, if I was so worldly, then I would have everybody following me. I don't want to use that as an excuse because God wants us to have followers. God wants us to build our church and discipleship, all of that, regardless of what the world is doing. Can I hear an amen to that? But there is a truth, there is a truth to this, that false prophets always get more attention. I mean, let's just think about it. I'm in your city, I've never been interviewed by the news, but Carlton Pearson got to be interviewed and got all that attention, got to be on Oprah. Why? Because that's a better story. Pastor, he used to believe in hell, no longer believes in hell, accepts the LGBT into his church, et cetera, et cetera, even though we accept, but you know what I mean by that, accepting the lifestyle and continuing in sin and all of that. And so he gets to go on news. You know, it's like the old saying goes, if a dog bites a man, that's no news. If a man bites a dog, that's news. And so you'll look at social media and you'll look at a lot of what's popular and it's not what we're saying. And you might think to yourself, well, man, maybe Joe's just not a good, as good of a speaker as this person. Or maybe our church isn't as cool as this church over here. No, the Bible says there's a reason. The reason that they're having so much attention is they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. So the Bible says that the path to destruction is great. And so they have more of a pool to get their people from than we do because narrow is the path that we're on. But I still believe that there's 100,000 in this city that want to come follow Jesus, amen, for 50 churches in this city, 500 around the world, amen. You know, there's, what, 10 million, 8 million? They, a lot of them still may not want it, but I believe that there's 100,000 that do. So I don't want to use this as an excuse not to go hard for God. But we have to be aware there is a difference. There is a difference. I mean, if I spoke maybe only a half hour, didn't describe things the way I did, I, don't you think there probably would be more people showing up? And if we didn't keep you accountable in our life groups, if we let you just kind of hang out and just be, you know, just chill and all that, don't you think more people would come to them? I mean, most of the time when people are leaving our church, it's not because we read the Bible too much, you know? It's, it's not that we're singing too many songs. No, the reason why they leave it is because we're applying the Bible much. It's because we're expecting much from people who call themselves Christians, and so here's the place where I rest, and I want to encourage you to rest here as well, that those who listen to God will listen to you, that those who really have a heart for God will come to this church. You know, you come, don't you? And why is that? Because you listen to God. You want to go home and apply this to your life. You're not just here because I gave you some tickle-your-ear kind of message. No, you're here because you know the truth is here. Let's go to this scripture in closing as Rachel comes, 2 Timothy 4. 
verse 15, Paul says it like this, and I, I feel like it describes what John was saying very clearly as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Somebody say, preach the word. Amen, I will by God's grace. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and instruction. Notice what I'm supposed to give you every week. Notice what the life group is supposed to give you, and let's see if we're doing a good job at this. Every time we come and we preach the word, what should be on that plate as we think of serving you a meal? What should be on that word of God plate? There should be correction. So every time you come and hear the word of God, there should be a correction towards things maybe that you were doing wrong. There should be a rebuke, something that you're being told to stop doing, and there should be an encouragement to keep on doing the right thing. Wow, so two of the three is stuff that a lot of people don't want to hear? Yeah. So what could we do if we wanted to build a bigger church just based on the spirit of man feeling better? We could just encourage the whole time. I just encourage you, I encourage you, I encourage you. If it's ever discouragement, let me know because I don't want you to be discouraged. That's what Joe Lostein says, and I mean that with all respect. I don't want to pick on him right now, but in his interviews, he says, you know what? People are beat up every week. They already know how sinful they are. I just want to encourage them. So you don't mention sin? No, I don't mention sin. So you don't mention hell? No, I just want to encourage them. And people get deceived by that. I'm not saying he's going to hell, but who's the one that whispered that little idea in his mind? The devil. See, the devil convinced him, if you talk about sin, you're discouraging people. No. If I talk about you getting out of debt, am I discouraging you? No, I'm actually helping you. If I talk about you stop breaking the actual law, am I discouraging you? No, no, I want you to stay out of jail. So he's already twisted on what he thinks encouragement and discouragement is. I think it's encouraging when parents teach their children the right way to live. I think it's encouraging when, when, when spouses help guard each other's marriage. I think that is actually encouraging. But at the same time, we have to have rebuke and encouragement, uh, rebuke and correct with the encouragement, with great patience, careful instruction. That's why we try to go verse by verse, careful instruction. Look at verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. I don't want that. Man, you guys go too long. You go verse by verse. I could read it on my own. Tell me something I don't know. Give me something to look at. Give me a skit, a play, a song. It's too much preaching to us. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Just tell me what I want to hear, preacher. I want to hear that I'm mostly good, that God's got my back, and I can make it through all my problems. Just tell me that every week over and over and over again. I can make it. You can make it. I can make it. You can. We're all going to make it. Just tell me how good of a person I am, that I'm not perfect, never will be, but God just loves me. I'm a beautiful mess. You know, just tell me that over and over. Don't expect me to do different. Don't expect me to do the work of the ministry. Just tell me that God loves me over and over again. It says they will just get what their itching ears want. They'll turn their ears away from truth, turn aside to myths. And there's a lot of Christian myths, aren't there? A lot of Christian myths. My God would never judge that. Well, that's right. Your God wouldn't because he doesn't exist. We know that here. But there's, that, that's a myth. That's a Christian myth. Another Christian myth is, oh, you know what? Uh, you, guys, you guys are so mean that no one's ever going to come to that church. You have to, you have to put out the honey if you want the bees or whatever. You know what? That's a myth. Jesus talked more about hell than any other person in the entire Bible, and yet he had the largest crowds. We're not going to stay small if we talk the truth. God will bring in people. It may not grow as fast as others, but we're not going to stay small forever. The church will keep growing and growing and growing. And one day we'll give the Roman Catholics a run for their money because I hear they're shutting, about, shutting down about 50 of them right now. Amen. We'll buy up those properties and put our schools in there, praise God. He said, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge the duties of your ministry. Just put this in your heart in closing. I'm going to keep my head in all situations. I'm going to test the spirits like John told me, number one. Number two, I'm going to endure hardship. It's going to be hard at times. It's not going to be an easy conversation with a coworker about the things we believe in this church. It's not always going to go easy, but I'll endure it. 
I'll endure it. Endure the hardship, number two. Number three, do the work of an evangelist. If someone here don't want it, go get 10 more out there that do want it. Keep preaching and reaching. Keep going out and spreading the good news because there's going to be somebody in your life who wants to listen to the things of God. And lastly, do all that God called you to do. Don't make excuses. Don't make excuses whether you have a big life group, little life group, a lot of disciples, little disciples, whether you're just starting off, you're new, or you've been here for a while. Don't make any excuses. Do it all for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus today. We accept that, Lord. Your Holy Spirit, we accept. Altar worker and band, would you come as we pray? Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Teach us to test all spirits so that in these end times we can be ready for what awaits us. If you're here today and you have not been born again yet, you have not accepted the Holy Spirit, simply ask Jesus to come into your life. Repent of your sins. You may not know everything about Christianity, but you know enough to make that decision. Make a decision right now to follow Jesus. If you're here today and you've been following Jesus, but now you can see you've been deceived in some ways. There's been some spirits messing with you. Repent of those things you've believed or done. Ask God to help you get free from that. And then lastly, if you're here with me right now and you're saying, I love Jesus, I'm all in, would you right now ask God to guard your heart, help make you a good Christian that can test whatever comes your way, that you'll go out there and be a good example. You'll be an example of what it means to really serve God by the Holy Spirit. A few moments praying right now. Those of you who may want to come, you can start coming now. We'll dismiss in just a moment. But these prayer workers are up here to pray with anybody and everybody. Man, would you start to worship? Before we go, let's just make this a time of worship and prayer. If you feel you've been afflicted by spirits, we believe in exorcisms here, the expelling of evil spirits. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you get nightmares. Maybe feelings overcome you. And you're wondering if that's a spiritual thing, we'd love to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. A few moments before we go. Hallelujah, Lord. We receive the Holy Spirit. Those of you who may want prayer for more of the Holy Spirit, you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, speak in other tongues as we've talked about in other times, come on up. We'd love to pray for you. You are a spiritual person. You're meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit and overflowing. Test those spirits, rebuke them, correct them. Serve Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We'll dismiss in just a few moments.